Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, George Reuter, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Welcome, everybody, to Acts chapter 20. That's where you are turning in your Bible or tapping in your Bible app. And if not, I'll read it, which is fine. Um, we're going to break into Acts chapter 20 in this, our 58th episode on the book of Acts. We are chugging along through this book. Uh, we'll get to talk about one of my favorite Bible people today. Uh, who is known for a thing that maybe I'm not thrilled and he's not thrilled that he's known for. Let's do Acts chapter 20. These are the first 12 verses in the NIV. When the uproar had ended, and I'll pause just to remind us that that uproar was the shenanigans from the end of Acts 19, where Paul's followers were, well, Paul's companions were dragged into the arena and great is Diana of the Ephesians and all of that. When that uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people and finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. Because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive! Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. This is God's word. Let's talk first about Paul's visit to Macedonia and Achaia. The text describes a somewhat lengthy visit in not many words. There were ways to piece together what happened based on other references, as Richard Longenecker reports, quote, this report of Paul's return visit to Macedonia and Achaia is the briefest account of an extended ministry in all of Acts, even more so than the summary of the ministry at Ephesus. Nevertheless, it can be filled out to some extent by certain personal references and historical allusions in 2 Corinthians and Romans, which were written during this time. End quote. After Paul's three months, he planned to sail for Syria, but changed his mind because someone uncovered a plot against him. This stuff is so worth talking about when we get to glory. Hey, Paul, did it get old or dull or boring to find out that another group of people wanted you dead and plotted to snuff you out? Like, what are we going to talk about when we get to glory? My goodness sakes, I want to know. Well, 
Maybe I'll be distracted with other things like, I don't know, the glory of Jesus. But I imagine in some, some private times, I'll get to talk to Paul about this stuff. I'll quote William Barclay because it seems relevant. Quote, Often from foreign ports, Jewish pilgrim ships left for Syria to take pilgrims to the Passover. Paul must have intended to sail on such a ship. On such a ship, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for the fanatical Jews to arrange that Paul should disappear overboard and never be heard of again. End quote. So, yet again, they figure there's some sort of plot, and yet again, they decide, we'll change plans. You don't get us that easy. In any event, most of the six verses here are just a travel record. No fantastic stories about miracles, just ministry, which is itself a beautiful gift to our Jesus, but also noteworthy. It isn't always true that ministry is fantastic bright lights. Most times, ministry is quiet and interested in the mundane needs of those who do not have the gospel. Let's talk about Eutychus, one of my favorite guys. Eutychus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Wait, not him? Ah, anyway, the church had come together to break bread. This was a common custom for the early church. We have definitely lost that aspect of church life. I'll quote William Barclay here. Quote, in the early church, there were two closely related things. There was what was called the love feast. To it, all contributed, and it was a real meal. Often, it must have been the only real meal that poor slaves got all week. It was a meal when the Christians sat down and ate in loving fellowship and in sharing with each other. During it, or at the end of it, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper was observed. It may well be that we have lost something of very great value when we lost the happy fellowship and togetherness of the common meal of the Christian fellowship. It marked, as nothing else could, the real homeliness, the real family spirit of the church, end quote. Now, as part of this love feast, and because Paul was going to leave soon, Paul taught, and taught, and taught. Midnight. He went till midnight. J. Vernon McGee, quote, I tell congregations very frankly that I'm a long-winded preacher. I'm known as that. I love to teach the Word of God. I have a system of homiletics that I never learned in the seminary. I picked it up myself. In fact, I got it from a cigarette commercial. This is it. It's not how long you make it, but how you make it long. I believe in making it long. My scriptural authority for it is that Paul did it. He spoke until midnight. End quote. Now, it was late. And they had finished a big meal. And many of those who gathered were probably day laborers. So by midnight, they were whooped, tired, exhausted. And the lamps didn't help sucking the oxygen out of a room full of people. So Eutychus, bless his heart, fell asleep and tumbled out of the window where he had doubtless positioned himself to avoid falling asleep. McGee again, quote, I confess that Paul's experience has always been a comfort to me. When I look out at the congregation and see some brother or sister out there sound asleep, I say to myself, it's all right, just let them sleep. Paul put them to sleep too. End quote. 
Now, this was a bit more serious than when someone falls asleep at our church, unless they're perched on the balcony ledge, I suppose. The scripture records that Eutychus was dead. Dead. That's what happens when you fall from the third floor. You're dead. So, Paul does what Paul does. He falls on Eutychus in ways that are reminiscent of Elijah of old and resurrects him. Tom Constable, quote, If you are a preacher and have the gift of gab, you may also need the gift of raising the dead, end quote. Now, this resurrection is so that Paul can go back to what he was doing. I mean, he was preaching, and he wanted to keep preaching, and he, in fact, did continue preaching until daylight. I am trying to imagine what would happen if someone fell off the balcony at Zion Fellowship. Dead. Mark, or whoever's preaching, comes over, lies down on him, breathes life into him, raises him from the dead, and then asks, you good? Walks back to the platform. Now, as I was saying, right? Like, how the heck do you just go back to now as I was saying? I don't understand that. Now, that's what Paul did. Paul was preaching from the evening to midnight. Somebody dies. That person is raised from the dead. And the preacher says, now where was I in my notes? I don't understand a culture that would view such a thing as, well, let's just move on from that. I would be talking about that for weeks. J. Vernon McGee, quote, These early believers sat up all night listening to Paul. I know someone is going to say, if I could listen to Paul, I'd listen all night too. Probably, Paul was nothing more than a humble preacher of the gospel. We do know that Apollos was an eloquent man, but that is not said of Paul. These believers simply wanted to hear the word of God. How wonderful that is. End quote. And that's the note on which I want to close this episode. What a beautiful thing it was that the believers just wanted to hear the scripture taught. They didn't care if the speaker was flashy or if he had cool slides or a great backup band. They didn't care if he was eloquent. They cared that the speaker had a message from the Lord. And this is that better birthed nature, that eugenos nature that I want to see in myself and in the church today. Uh, we, we talk about how the Bereans, we did in previous episodes, talk about how the Bereans were better birthed than the Thessalonians because they went home every day and checked out what Paul was saying to see if these things were so. That's that better birthed nature. These people cared that the speaker had a message from the Lord. They weren't interested in flashy titles and and the coolest microphones and the special effects and all of that. They cared about the message. And that's what I hope this podcast and all of the preaching of the Word of God does for you in our generation. 
Thanks for listening. We'll pick up with the middle of chapter 20 next time. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.